Welcome to Pharmacy Friends, a podcast dedicated to bringing industry experts to the same virtual table to talk about what is happening in pharmacy today, what is coming in the future, and most importantly, what it means to you. On today's episode, we are diving deep into emotions and technology with Brian McDonald, a passionate pharmacist who has learned over the pandemic that filling a prescription for loneliness may be the most important thing for patients during these times. But how do we do that? Well, Brian's joined by Eden Brownell from Mpulse Mobile, an organization dedicated to developing high-touch solutions that use a powerful combination of conversational AI, behavioral data science, and education to improve health outcomes. Let's get right into it. Hi, pharmacy friends. I'm Brian McDonald. I am the director of specialty clinical strategy here at Magellan RX, and that involves overseeing, helping to implement and develop a number of clinical programs and strategies, uh, looking at specialty medications and high cost therapies on both the medical and pharmacy benefit, uh, both payer and patient driven solutions. Uh, And one of my responsibilities is to help oversee uh, one such clinical program in which a team of nurse care managers uh, regularly interact with our specialty pharmacy patients on a daily, monthly, weekly basis, depending on where the patients are at in their care journey, and, you know, to help them meet sort of the needs uh, of their condition and of their treatment. Uh, Through this work with our team of nurses, I hear a lot about how patients can feel isolated during times like these, uh, especially while also trying to manage a complex and often chronic health condition. So in the middle of this pandemic that we've been going through, it's hard for any of us, I think, to not to naturally feel a little bit more isolated and perhaps lonelier than we did before. And perhaps you didn't even realize that feelings of isolation and loneliness can manifest in your physical health in terms of detrimental effects on your health. There have been recent data and results that have been published around this topic that can equate the effects of loneliness on more commonly recognizable sort of uh, physical health barriers, things like uh, increased risks of heart disease. And and some people have also linked loneliness to detriments that are comparable to that of obesity or even something like smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Uh, so because of that, you know, we at Magellan have been looking at different solutions and different ways that we can connect with our patients beyond their treatments, beyond their prescriptions and their specialty medications and their conditions to tap into those feelings of social isolation and loneliness. And one of the ways we did that was through our partnership with Impulse. And today I'm joined with our special guest, who is Eden Brownell. She's with Impulse, and Impulse is an organization that focuses on using technology to mitigate these types of emotions. So Eden, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Eden Brownell, and I'm a behavioral strategist on the engagement strategy team at Impulse. Um, my background is all over the place, but in psychology, sociology, marketing, and behavioral science. Um, this really boils down to the fact that I am super fascinated by people and their behaviors and learning about you know, why they do what they do and why they might not do what we want them to do. Yeah, that's such a great point. And as a pharmacist by training myself, we grow up and we're educated to sort of be experts in the medication treatments, the pharmacologic treatments, the idea that there is hopefully a pill or a capsule or an injection to you know, sort of cure what ails you. Um, and whether it might be a symptom or a slowing of a disease, things that you can sort of tangibly measure and tangibly feel. And so little did I expect, you know, this far into my career to start being more focused in you know, some of the intangibles, you know, those emotions, feelings 
that connect with our patients and ultimately, you know, play as much or perhaps even a larger role in their overall health than, than those treatments and those conditions do themselves. So thank you again so much for being here. I think this is an awesome topic for us to tackle. I'm really excited to talk kind of about a variety of things with you and do a deeper dive some of what we were just covering. Um, I'm a podcast junkie myself. So in preparing <laughs> to host this episode, I went back and I was re-listening to an episode of Freakonomics, which is obviously a much uh, more widely listened to and downloaded podcast, but uh, one that certainly has been established in the market for some time. Uh, but they recently had an, uh, an episode themselves that tackled social isolation and loneliness and touched on some of these same um, outcomes and same topics. And so they, you know, one of their guests was Dr. Vivek Murthy, who is now our two-time U.S. Surgeon General and who's been at the front of a lot of this research. Um, and they were talking a lot about the differences between social isolation and loneliness. Those words are often sometimes used interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. And they go on to talk about how loneliness is uh, is subjective. Um, you know, one of their one of their contributors to the episode described it as the difference between. Uh, what our actual level of social connection is with the outside world or with others and what our desired level is. And that difference between those two is where that gap is loneliness. And it's that loneliness that really is uh, tied to a lot of these sort of detrimental health outcomes, the comparisons to, you know, the cigarette uh, smoking and the obesity and things like that. Um, and so, you know, the idea that you could be socially isolated, but not lonely, you could be lonely, but not socially isolated versa, that those are actual scenarios that, that our patients might be in. So I was wondering if you could maybe expand on that a little bit with some of your thoughts on, on the differences. Yeah. So um, I think for um, a lot of what we're seeing with the loneliness, you know, is, you know, people can be, you know, surrounded by others or not have others and still, like you said, the feeling, it's still the feeling that could be there. So I think it's really important when we're able to determine that about someone and therefore like provide um, interventions. And I think in this area, you think of interventions and they can seem so clinical and, and wild, but we're really talking about like humans and basic needs and, you know, connection just being one of those aspects. So we don't um, you know, when we think of an intervention for this, it's really just letting people in the most part know that they're not alone in these feelings, especially right now in a time when you can feel very alone. And I think it's just, you know, that power of hearing that other people are going through the same thing um, and, you know, sort of tips and tricks for, you know, how, how they're sort of getting through the process as well. So I agree. It's definitely, it can be a very interesting topic. Um, you know, people who you wouldn't assume might feel lonely that really are, because it is just sort of that subjective feeling. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, when you think about it, and you know, when you hear people describe loneliness as a biological driver, something on par with hunger or thirst, or some of those other sort of just natural innate uh, sort of desires and cravings that we have for, for survival as, as humans. And you think about the social connection piece as being what's tied to longevity and those more positive long-term health outcomes. What can you tell us a little bit more, at least, about what Impulse is doing in, in, in terms of leveraging technology to, to help people with this? Yeah, so Impulse. So we really build solutions that are on um, our conversational activation platform. So it really works to power these large-scale outreaches through omnichannel messaging delivery and supports two-way interaction. And you know, in many ways more personalized content that's tailored to the individual. So a huge part of it is really, and I think you hear again and again from members is we're really trying to 
respond to them and meet them where they are. Um, so this is a especially relevant with this topic because it's sort of what's going on right now. So we're, you know, really trying to be conscious of, you know, barriers that members are facing with their healthcare, our solutions, you know, you can see that sometimes like a, you know, a solution could be from, you know, really this like straightforward, here we go. Um, and, and the problem with, with having, you know, sort of like we're getting members from A to B and, and no, no wiggle room in between, it really leaves out that, um, you know, sort of gray area of just natural, like of being human and, and people are busy and people have other things going on. And so our system is really allowing for the ability to handle those different scenarios. So, you know, we might, we're really trying to get member from point A to point B, but at any time, if, if they are to mention something related to, you know, transportation issues or cost concerns or access or trouble getting an appointment, our system is, is listening and really prepared to respond with appropriate resources, depending on the barrier mentioned. So really getting at, um, you know, the social determinants of health and like what's happening you know, in the member's life outside of just, you know, the, the healthcare things that we're trying to do. So we're really trying to establish where they are in their healthcare journey, what might be going on and getting in the way. Um, and, and, and being, I think a huge aspect is, is just empathy. I myself can struggle to get to healthcare appointments and I work in healthcare. Um, you know, I think, a lot of it is complicated and there's a lot of jargon and it can be overwhelming. So I think we just really try to bring that to, to our conversations and never really like pointing the blame or things like that, but just really helping members figure out what's going on and really just try to provide, you know, supportive messages. Um, and I think a huge part when it comes to feeling lonely or isolated, it's, a sensitive topic and um, not something that maybe someone's going to come out and talk to their doctor about. Um, we would love to think that everyone has this peachy keen relationship with their provider, but not everyone is like ready to open up about topics like this, um, you know, or they don't think that they should with their doctor. Um, you know, they're sort of like, I go in for my annual, um, anything health related, but people still haven't started thinking of their doctor as someone that needs to hear about, you know, some of those like other issues. So I think a great thing about what we're doing is with the technology and the digital tools, and we're asking it and we're introducing it in that really like sensitive, empathizing way. There's like a lot of research that people are more likely to open up on sensitive topics through these text messages and digital tools. They feel a little bit more of a judgment free zone. It's not as intimidating. They're just kind of opening up and, you know, we're, we're constantly sort of reassuring them, you know, that their, their answers aren't going to impact anything. I think that that's like a huge piece is just having the technology be able to create that, that judgment-free zone that really helps us to get a, a clear picture of where members are. Yeah. You make a couple of really good points there. You got me thinking as a pharmacist, I often, um, I have to, I have to work with and work around sort of what I presume to sort of be that sort of baseline foundation of knowledge about health that not everyone has that I just, mm -hmm. it's almost like an expectation that I uh, even subconsciously project onto other people when I, when I'm the one fielding questions from my wife, my parents, my sisters, you know, something that I always have to kind of circle back to and be aware that like, oh yeah, not everyone has, you know, this day in and day out hands-on experience that I happen to have in my current role. And so, you know, be able to not just relate, but then be able to distill some of this complex information down into a way that's easily sort of understandable and less uh, intimidating 
is is so so important. And then you brought up another part that made me think in terms of the blending of physical health and mental health, as opposed to you know, knocking down some of those fictional barriers that have been sort of built up in between the two and have kept them separate mm-hmm. for so long. I don't know if you're a, a huge follower of sports, but I feel like sports has mm-hmm. sort of done some of that recently, thinking about uh, what Naomi Osaka has done in tennis, thinking about, uh, so I love golf and there's a, there's a golfer, Bubba Watson, who's been so outspoken about his mental health and how it's impacted mm-hmm. Uh, physically and in his performance and in his daily routine. I think about Kevin Love, um, a pro basketball player, just just as a few examples of really trying to um, dilute, yeah, that that separation that has existed for so long between what's considered physical health and what's considered mental health. Yeah, and I think that that goes back to being able to deliver that message that you're not alone. So the impact that these, you know, public figures are having by just admitting it, I think, you know, when you're going through, I think it's, you know, it's, it's isolation, it's, you know, it can be anxiety, it can be depression. Um, There, there is still a stigma. I know we're all working against it. But I think when you have big, you know, you have people coming out and being outspoken about it, or you can, you know, have a conversation with a member, and you're able to say, you know, a lot of other members are dealing with this, you know, this is how they're getting through. I think it just kind of pops that bubble of like, you know, oh, oh, like, I, it's okay to feel this way. Other people are feeling it too. So I think that the more that's coming out about it, I think the better just it's, it's really, I think doing a lot to help folks that are, that are really going through it. Yeah, that's a great point. Now thinking about the technology itself that impulse has available and that impulse uses, you know, when I first started interacting with the impulse team, it was to move some of our clinical programs for patients away from the traditional modalities of, you know, telephone outreach, snail mail letters to them, and then maybe a fax to their, to their doctor. And then, you know, we were able to start first with the traditional sort of text message interaction with patients, uh, and then sort of refine that in a way that was a little bit more, uh, you know, two-way instead of a one-way response. But recent solutions and, and pilots that we've done with Impulse have introduced me to levels of interaction and different varieties of offerings that I didn't even know Impulse had available. So in terms of the technology, could you describe a little bit what it actually looks like for a person who's engaging with, with the platform? Yeah. So I think that this um, goes back to, you know, we're really trying to meet members where they're, where they are. We're really trying to be like co- cognizant of just what, what people want right now. People are on their phone. People are still busy when they're on their phone, but they are on their phone. Um, I, unfortunately, you know, I think for, for some cohorts, you are potentially able to still get through with a phone call, but I think that everything that occurred throughout COVID, um, the world got more skeptical and a little less trusting, um, you know, in terms of like, there was a lot of spam calls going on. There was a lot of just concerns about that. So I think it's, you know, it's become even more tricky to try to call someone and get them to answer. If you, uh, I know for myself, I, I don't even answer some of my friends' calls. I'm just, I'm not a phone person. Um, maybe you'll catch me on FaceTime, but um, the world is really just, you know, in a texting, in a texting place. And so um, I like that you pointed out sort of the difference between one way and two way. So, you know, it's great to be able to say to a member, hey, you know, go do this thing. But if you are just in a one-way message and you don't allow the member to respond, like you're really missing like the the possibility of getting at barriers, at getting at issues, at getting at 
the why they're not doing it. And it, you know, can be, you know, big, I don't have transportation to like, I just don't know why I don't, I don't feel the need to do that. And a lot of our members, when we look at barrier analysis, a lot of it is just a, it's like an information, it's a knowledge gap. It's something that we wouldn't have discovered unless we allowed for that two way communication. And unless we we're able to like sort of build in the background, the ability to capture those, those different pieces and actually, you know, direct members to resources. Um, so there's, it's interesting with texting because um, also if you sort of have a more limited one-way sort of connection, they've, they've shown in research that like 75% of consumers are actually more frustrated when they can't respond to a text message from a business due to sort of those limitations and, you know, certain kind of texting. So, you know, if we, if what we really like about our technology is the ability for the member to be a real human and respond as they want to. So yes, we're going to, we're going to lay out, okay, like our, are these one, two, three, four, are these maybe the, the, the things you're struggling with? But we in the background have a host of things that we're ready to respond to because we know that they're also issues. And a member can say, you know, go down one of those paths and our, our system is still allowing for it. So I think that that's just a really huge aspect of just understanding the degrees of, of issues that a person can experience when it comes to their healthcare. And I think another piece that we can get into is the, I think, especially relevant to the work that we did here and sort of pushes the boundary, you know, when it comes to like, when you just think of a text message is we've been really interested in the work around photo novellas yes. and huge, huge part. Um, we see really great um, research around that and also just the data. Um, so it's it started out of, you know, we really see that the Hispanic immigrant population in the United States is, is constantly growing, being mindful of that. So there's been all this research around how photonovelas are a really great way to convey, you know, health topics um, that like a picture format, a story format is going to be you know, easier to consume and engage with. Um, and so it's really, you know, understanding the need for more adi- like adequate healthcare services and um, allow members to understand it and, and get that knowledge. So um, it's really a health literacy tool. So like we talked about before, where, you know, we can get in our mind where, you know, we think everyone has maybe the same knowledge that we do about health because we work in it. Um, this is sort of the, the understanding that not everyone does. And so it's really meant to be a health literacy tool that can be in, adapted and used to increase low health literacy rates and access to care. And it's really was specifically among low income monolingual Spanish speaking communities. So really trying to make sure, but what we've seen is that it's working, it's working everywhere. So I think it, it really speaks to, you know, the the changes you see things i mean i think of like younger populations you know we have the tiktok we have stories on instagram and people are really um used to and i think hungry for that like visual communication so i think with photo novellas we're really trying to you know make learning about healthcare you know sort of fun um and you know not just oh here's a huge chunk of content we want you to read about and really hope that you understand um, so I think that that's been a really great aspect of Fonovellas. Yeah. So um, when we when we did our most recent pilot, you know, looking at COVID-19 messaging for our specialty patients focused on social isolation and loneliness, 
And when I got to see sort of the, the library of content that was going to be rolled out, there were dozens, dozens of topics that were one-way messages, two-way messages, and these photo novellas. I, I have to admit that my gut reaction seeing the photo novellas was, gee, I don't know, like, is this a little too, is it a little too corny? Is it a little too after-school special, you know, PSA? Uh, I didn't know what was going to come of it. When we got our data and our results back, it was not even close. The photo novellas were the most engaged with and the most highly rated in terms of patient satisfaction across, you know, age groups and, you know, social determinant of health brackets and buckets. So, I mean, I'm completely wrong. <laughs> no, I think that your initial gut feeling is is right. I mean, uh, I think when uh, I'll nerd out quick on my behavioral science, um, but, you know, people want easy. Um, there's this just this uh, concept of perceived effort in behavioral economics. Um, and it's sort of the difference of the objective effort versus the subjective effort of something. And um, I think when you you could provide the same amount of content in a, you know, just large text message, or you could bundle it up into a photo novella and it's kind of broken up and it's, it's chunked and it's, you know, they, they are able to see the progression that they're making through the story, which provides them a sense of sort of accomplishment. And, you know, it's, it's, they end up, you know, they might be learning or reading the same total amount of content, but just the way that it's being delivered, they feel that it's easier. And when people feel that something's easier, they're more actually to like it. Um, so, that's, I think, just a really great part of uh, photo novellas is that people, um, they don't feel that it's difficult and they're in their learning in the process. That's a great point. And it was so helpful to see uh, levels of engagement, levels of satisfaction broken out, not just uh, by the cohort, you know, just to have a generic result, like 90% uh, satisfaction or, uh, you know, 50% engagement, but to see it stratified amongst, uh, you know, decades of age ranges or broken out by social determinants of health. So I wanted to uh, specifically kind of focus on the latter in terms of, you know, the social determinants of health, how we go about sort of analyzing patients by where they're at geographically and, and sort of the importance of doing so. Yeah, so I think a huge part of it is, you know, we are really getting at um, personas for, for, for members. So based on, you know, data that we were getting in based on what they were saying throughout the conversation, really being able to pivot and tailor the communications for those members. Um, I think that we, you know, for more high risk members, you know, we, we did see that they were very satisfied with it, they were finding it helpful. Um, I think that what we found to be very interesting is that even those who were low risk for social determinants of health, we're still finding this very interesting. So it again goes back to that subjective feeling of loneliness and isolation. Someone can be, you know, sort of, okay, we consider them to be like economically okay. And, you know, in our society, sometimes that's what people think is like, you know, that's, that's it. That's the end all be all. They're doing great They're They should be happy. Um, and it really is, you know, this idea of loneliness is something that, is pervading all, all of the levels of, you know, sort of our society. It's not, um, it's just, it's not economically specific. It's, it's people, people, no matter what can be feeling isolated. And I think that that was something that was really, you know, interesting to see repeated in the data. Yeah. And speaking of that data, let's uh, zoom out even a little bit more. I know I was just referencing the fact that in our uh, two rounds, our two cohorts that we that we've reached out to, we saw you know some really positive results and some really interesting 
uh, outcomes. But more broadly, can you speak to sort of what Impulse has seen in terms of the results and trends? Yeah, of course. We ran this across two cohorts. So really in 2020, and then, you know, which was, you know, at the height of everything going on with COVID. Um, and then again, in 2021, um, what was a alarmingly awesome, you know, finding is that people were still similarly like strong engagement rates um, in the 2021 cohort. So even as things were starting to open back up and people are getting back out there from their responses, we were seeing that they still found this this program valuable. They found the interactions helpful. Um, Like even as the, you know, pandemic shifted from lockdown opening up. Um, So we saw that the overall program satisfaction members continue to find the program helpful with almost 90% 90 finding it helpful. So again, really similar 2020 and huge satisfaction numbers, which, you know, we like to attribute to the messages, but also, you know, the photo novellas that I think people just found really um, enjoyable and helpful. And in terms of overall member insights, and if we thought about like the behavior change, we thought that members would be reporting more concerns around the Delta variant or rising COVID cases. Um, But most members um, were actually just talking about how they've learned to cope, how they're finding our check-ins and tips helpful. And so again, we built in these um, abilities to, you know, be mindful of what's going on. We were ready to react to people um, mentioning those things. But at the end, they they just kind of continued to show that they were finding it helpful and that they um, just were giving positive feedback about some of the, you know, behavior change and tactics that they had talked, that they had learned um, when we asked them at the end of the program. It was a high engagement rate. We were at like 64%. Um, we saw members clicking the links at about 14%. And the age band that was sort of most engaged was between 50 to 70. And again, this was super similar to 2020. And what we found interesting is that we still were seeing engagement across the other members and they they might not have been clicking as much. So I think one of the great parts is, you know, our for the younger population, uh, in all of our programs, we have the ability to opt out. You have to give you have to give people you see in any text message you get, you have to have the ability to say stop at any time and members can do that. So same thing, we we always provide that that out. People have to have a feeling of choice and autonomy and, and they can't feel stuck. So um, even with the younger population, um, they weren't clicking as much, but they didn't opt out. And I think for us, that was another big win because it, and to me, it says, okay, this content's still helpful. I'm still, they're still reading it. It's still on their phone. They don't want to stop the messages. Um, they might, you know, be doing 8 million other things and be on their Instagram and their TikTok and they may not click through, but they're, they're still, they're still getting on their phone and reading and not, and not opting out. What was really great to hear is that more members were reporting really healthy coping strategies. So they were exercising more, they're doing outdoor activities, just walking, gardening, whatever it might be, eating healthier and just like feeling happier and positive. Um, and that was sort of at like the check-ins and at the assessments at the end of the program. So um, it was just really great feedback to see that, you know, members were so involved and they were actually, you know, these text messages were, were having impacts on, you know, their day-to-day life. Yeah, you mentioned the, the option of opting out and, and obviously that's built into any strategy like this. 
What was really encouraging to me, it was exactly the same in both rounds that we that we launched the pilot, is that the pilot was designed to last six weeks. And we saw like 85 to 90% of all opt-outs occurred in that first like seven to 10 days of the messaging. And I think that's exactly when it should happen. And it was really awesome to see that anyone who sort of opted in and decided to stick it out uh, for the most part, made it all the way through the six weeks. And so that really landed with me because it spoke to how good the content was. If people didn't think that the solution was right for them, they recognized it up front and they opted out. No big deal. Totally understandable. But for those who who stuck it out, there was no dwindling interest. There was no, uh, there was no changing, you know, almost like no uh, changing course or reversing course and saying, actually, never mind. I, this isn't what I signed up for. No, thanks. The, the patients stuck it out. They went through the six weeks and it was awesome to see you know, the patient satisfaction and a lot of the subjective feedback that came in, in terms of the new mindfulness habits, the new routines, the new uh, hobbies that people were trying to implement in their life. Um, and then, you know, even seeing specific messages from patients coming in saying it felt so nice to know that my, my specialty pharmacy was reaching out to talk more about just my prescription or more about just my, you know, specialty condition that, you know, they really wanted to see how I was doing. And so, you know, to get that sort of feedback, you know, really, you know, just warms you. And it was, it was awesome to see it really justified the whole, the whole approach. And it was so, it was so interesting go throughout round one versus round two, you know, to be perfectly honest, when we, when we started to do round two this, this past summer, I had a lot of concerns that it was almost too little too late. You know, the vaccines had to roll out. States were lifting some of their regulations and restrictions. And I said, you know, Sure, let's offer it. It can't hurt, but I wasn't necessarily so hopeful on on what the results or the data might be the second time around. And to see that engagement was on par with with what we saw last fall, to see that opt-outs were nearly just as low, that patient satisfaction was still just as high, was really compelling. And that you know speaks to that these topics of social isolation and loneliness uh, may not have been you know as tied you know to the pandemic you know directly as maybe we thought, and maybe they're topics that are worth discussing all the time and not just in time, you know, earth, you know, earth moving, you know, <laughs> you know changes and, and pandemics. So that's what really kind of stuck out to me. It's what really, you know, justified the whole approach, the whole strategy, the whole, made it so worthwhile to have done it. Um, so if we think about how we can apply this moving forward, kind of what, in your opinion, does the future look like using this type of technology to impact people's health in a way that might be, you know, positive and meaningful. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think that the program results, you know, that that really spoke to me as well. That we were, you know, sort of during right in the height of COVID twenty twenty versus you know July twenty twenty one, members were still feeling that the program was so helpful. We had, you know over 60 member responses where we were just kind of asked them, what was your favorite aspect of this? And we had things like, you know, I had a change in attitude, uh, knowing I have an extra layer to my support system, you know, really speaking to these text messages. Um, another said, you know, the te- the text, it showed me someone that doesn't know me cares. So that shows that, you know, people can think digital and technology can be this really cold element. But I think if you infuse it with the right content, it can really be this great empathizing sort of additional character in someone's life, you know, and, and be something that they, they really connect to. Um, I think we, you know, need to always understand that, that loneliness was, was 
wasn't created by the pandemic. Um, it was happening long before and, you know, they were starting to do this research. I think, um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of positives that can come from a pandemic, but I think if it's allowing loneliness and isolations to sort of get in the spotlight and be understood, um, that that's sort of one great takeaway. It's like, how do we keep doing these interventions, knowing that people are still finding it helpful, knowing that, you know, as people go back into society, there's this new normal. And, and I think, you know, everyone's going to struggle with that. And, you know, the feelings of isolation, and none of that's going to go away. So I think it's just, you know, being really mindful of that. I think when we think of actual messaging and things, when we when we're shifting more to, you know, out of lockdown and opening up and stuff, you know, they, it, it'll just be a switch in content framing. So I think we can uh, remove a bit more of like, you know, some of the COVID stuff and just have it be these, these friendly check-ins that are just, just about life and, you know, and, and letting people know that it's okay to have these feelings outside of a pandemic that this, this does happen again, just like reiterating that you're not alone and, and you know what I mean? And, and these, and, and other people are feeling it. I think that that's going to be really important as we go back is that are people going to feel guilty if they're still feeling lonely as things open back up? And it's just like, there's, there needs to be like no judgment there. That's that, that is what it is. People, people will feel lonely regardless. Um, and so I think that the, you know, the, the pandemic obviously really impacted our social lives, but it's also really primed us to, you know, develop new relationships. And, um, I, you know, we all as sort of a collective whole world, um, we all, you know, being lonely and isolated is now an experience that all of us are uncomfortably maybe familiar with um, yeah. on some level. And I think that what I love about, you know, that is that it can make us all better empathizers. And I think it ultimately will lead to more research um, around it and attempts to solve it. Um, because at the end of the day, we're, we're all human. And, um, you know, we, we understand now, I think more than ever that the importance of connection and, you know, sort of being able to, you know, have your people and things like that. So I, I think, these messages, I don't see an end to them in sight. Um, I think I know we're, we're constantly, you know, we're already thinking through ways that we can, you know, improve it and make it sort of, you know, post COVID and pandemic. Um, and just, just, just keep the good, good, happy engagement rates going. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. I mean, this, this experience has been so, so valuable to me. I'm so glad to have been sort of spearheading this campaign from the Magellan side. And I know it's really made us think about uh, exactly how we can take some of this learning and some of these uh, opportunities and, and reapply it to our program overall and, and think about the way our nurses are interacting with our with our specialty patients and, and you know, moving past or moving beyond just the traditional drug and disease education that we've always sought to provide and being able to layer in that, that you know, sort of behavioral health, mental health, uh, topics, you know, on top of it to, to make a well-rounded, um, comprehensive conversation with our patients. Right. I think that, um, when we've been thinking about it, you know, it's like, okay, we same as social determinants of health where, you know, okay, we're, we're now starting to include that in, in all outreaches or reaching out to someone about their, their management of their, you know, medication, but, um, okay, we, we want to know if cost is issue. We want to know if transportation is issue. And I just think I, we're getting to a place where it's going to be like, 
is loneliness. Like, are you feeling connected? Like that is going to become another like new barrier question, because I think it's just, it's pervading all aspects. And so I think, you know, it's just being able to then, okay, if we find that about someone, are we able to then, you know, add them to the, you know, isolation program, start providing them with those tips. So, you know, really from other aspects of their care, um, you know, discovering these type of issues and then, you know, getting them, getting them the right resources. Yeah, you make a great point. Um, it just reminded me, you know, when we, when we do our interactions with patients, our nurses, you know, are, are sort of trained and are knowledgeable to look for certain, you know, what we call barriers to adherence and things that might get in the way of a patient sort of optimizing and getting the most out of their, their therapy or their treatment. And, you know, typically when we are looking at some of the data and, and some of the barriers that our nurses are identifying, it's a lot of the traditional things that kind of rise to the top. It's, it's side effects. It's, cost, it's uh, maybe a little bit of health literacy, which is, you know, definitely in a more common term than, than maybe it was, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, you know, health literacy is, I think, much more identifiable now. But one of the smaller slivers has always kind of been uh, one that we had had termed lack of social support. And we would in some cases, but not nearly as much as some of those, you know, other sort of aforementioned categories. And I'll be really interested now post, you know, social isolation texting post pandemic to see if that's a trigger or something that we start to pick up on uh, either you know, in terms of perception and being able to read mm-hmm. between our patients uh, or something that patients are more comfortable just outright telling our nurses um, is impacting them. And I'll be really interested to see if it grows, not because of a worsening of, of the issue, but maybe more of a, a willingness to, to discuss it, if that makes sense. Right, right. And I think it's like sometimes in how we frame it, you know, people might um, see social support as one thing and, you know, feeling lonely as another. So I think, you know, like you said, it's like you're, your nurses who are, um, you know, really in the thick of it and communicating with members, um, I, you know, I think that they'll um, find these opportunities of, you know, like you said, reading between the lines and being like, you know, I, I think that this, this is an issue for our members and just, you know, having ways to sort of like sensitively talk about it. Um, and, you know, and like from that thing of, you know, many members are going through this, you know, sort of, you know, how, how can we help you? And I, I think that that's, you know, going to be part of the, the great part is, you know, sometimes getting, sometimes the struggle of getting at the right answer is just asking the right questions. So lots to think of for this one. <laughs> totally. Yeah. We'll be continuing to just sort of think of and evaluate the ways that we can kind of use all of this technology that's at our fingertips the right way. And whether it's delivering kind of small tips or tricks um, to check in with patients and sort of help shape their mindset or their perspective. Or if it's something, uh, you know, in terms of a larger solution that could start as a text message and help patients, you know, kind of turn that into what ends up being better exercise routines, more positive sleeping habits, things, you know, beyond, you know, what's prescribed, you know, by their doctor on paper, so to speak, uh, and really helping them kind of find more meaningful ways to, you know, take on new life skills or sort of be more proactive in the management of their overall health. Uh, so, so much to think about. Um, Eden, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such an awesome conversation for me. Uh, I'm happy to be part of the Pharmacy Friends podcast. And and really, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Yes, it was so great. I hope you all enjoyed listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. We'll talk soon. All right. 
What a great conversation about how we can use technology to help address loneliness and isolation. I think a key takeaway here is that feeling lonely and isolated isn't just something people started experiencing because of the pandemic. As Eden and Brian discussed, it is an ongoing issue that can correlate to some pretty serious health concerns. Whatever we can do to help others cope with these feelings is so important, and using technology that patients are already comfortable with to engage with them and provide support is the path forward. We hope, we hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as we did. We thought it would be nice to assign some homework at the end of this episode, and don't worry, it's not too hard. It's just simply to reach out to someone you care about. The fact is, we are all dealing with these feelings together, and it's always nice to have friends by your side. As always, make sure you subscribe and rate this podcast five stars. We'll talk soon.